Romans chapter 12. I'll continue with probably a couple of the most familiar verses in the Bible. <clears throat> Sometimes familiarity doesn't mean we understand it or really can fully consider what is being taught or written. Um, what was that saying? Familiar familiarity can breeds contempt or something like that. Uh, anyway, um, Romans 12, I'm going to start at verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Title the message this morning, Understanding the Will of God. Understanding the Will of God. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. And thank you for the understanding and the wisdom uh, in your, found in your word. I pray, Father, that you'd help us uh, to allow the Spirit of God to teach us, to instruct us, to convince us in our spirit of his will for our life. Help us understand what it is to know the will of God and simply obey it, we do pray. Pray for any in our midst who have never come to an understanding of their salvation, I pray that help them understand that is the will of God for their life. And so, Lord, just pray the Spirit of God would bring conviction, repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. You know, last week we talked about how the Lord is calling us to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, and it is our reasonable service. God wants us to present ourselves to Him, a willing, living, vibrant sacrifice. You know, a sacrifice is one that gives up its own life gives up its own will. And he's going to reinforce that in verse 2 here this morning. And, of course, he concluded at verse 1 by saying that is the reasonable or the logical thing to do. It is logical. Uh, you know, after all, God made us. God created us. Uh, he fashioned us. He's, he's the one that has given us life. And isn't it logical then that we would be accountable to him? that would be responsible to him. Uh, you know, if, if, if I was to borrow your vehicle, you'd want me to use it in a way that's responsible. You, you, know, you know, I could say, you know, Brother David, I'd like to borrow your truck. And he'd, he'd say, I'm sure he'd say, sure, you can borrow it. I'd say, I, and then I'd say this, well, I'm looking for something to enter into the demolition derby. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he'd say, either see Bradley or see Andrew. You know. And Andrew's saying, I went, not my truck, it's mine. You know. Rightfully so. So, you know, it's kind of reasonable that we would give ourselves to the Lord. But as we think about 
what it says in verse 2 as he goes on in this passage and understand the will of God. You know, many people will, will say this, and especially young people, and I said it when I was young, I just wish I knew the will of God. And, and what we really mean by that in our ignorance, and in my ignorance when I was young, I, I, wanted, I wanted to know, you know, I had this idea of I wanted to know, you know, what my, God's plan for my life was then, five years, ten years. You know what, I'm, I'm glad I didn't know. I'm glad I didn't know. Now that I look back, I'm glad I didn't know. Because I'd have probably run away. I'd have been like, I'd have been like uh, Jonah, you know. I'd have been fleeing to Tarshish, fleeing to, to, to uh, sail to Tarshish. Was sailed, he went down to Joppa and sailed to Tarshish, yeah. I'd been, I'd been running away. And I just said, there's, there's no way that could happen. If God, if, if God would have told me 20 years ago, you'll be in North Carolina, I'd have said, no way. No way. You're the same way. I'm not going there. It's hot down there. You know. Uh, no. See, no, understanding God's will is not like that. It's doing, understanding God's will is simply doing what you know to be right today. Today. And you know, the Bible says sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. And so it's trusting God day by day. That's really what the will of God is. And, of course, doing that in accordance and in agreement with the leading of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, as we'll see that in a minute. But So as we think about this, first of all, understanding the will of God, as we think about understanding the will of God, first of all, there must be a willingness to turn away from the world. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. The word conformed means simply to conform oneself to, i.e., one's mind and character, to another's pattern, or to fashion oneself according to. Uh, it, the only other time that's used in, in the New Testament is in 1 Peter 1.14, where it says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. So, so to be conformed means to fit to somebody else's pattern or lifestyle. And the Bible says here that we're not to be conformed to this world. We're not to pattern ourselves. Have trouble with the bottle. Well, what do we mean by the bottle? We're talking about strong drink or alcohol. Or we say, well, I'm going to count heads or noses. What am I counting? Am I counting heads or am I counting noses? No, I'm counting people. So it's the figure of speech. And that's what the word world here is. So we're talking about not being conformed to the thought patterns and the pursuit patterns that this world system and the people of this world seek after. Uh, again, Ephesians 2.2, 2, Ephesians 2.2, 2, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he said there, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Again, according to the course of this world, the patterns of this world. In 2 Timothy 4.10, he has said, Demoth hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So he, he went back to the patterns and pursuits of this world. You know, the world pursues, and, and you know, if I was of the world, that's what I would pursue. Is money. Is wealth. Um... Pleasure, because this, this world is all they have to look forward to. It's the only thing they're going to know, other than hell after that. They don't think want to think about that. And so those are the things that the world seeks after. Of course, 
Paul tells us in Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evils, and we're not to seek after it. And so we are not to be conformed. So there has to be this willingness to turn away from the world. First uh, John 2.15, John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, and there, again, he's talking about the patterns and pursuits of this world. Those ought not to be the things that we seek after. They're not our goals in life. We use this world. We are to use this world to make a living so that we can, why are we, you know, there's two reasons to make a living. That's to live, to pay our expenses, to provide for our own needs, and to give. Ephesians 4 tells us that. To live and to give. That's why we work. That's why we want to make a, a living. And so the, we're not to, and, and this, this is not a New Testament principle. This is taught throughout the Bible that, you know, Bible believers in all ages were to have a distinctive culture, if you will. In Leviticus chapter 18, <coughs> excuse me, I have a little bit of a, I guess a cold, cold this morning, but Leviticus 18, in verses 1 through 4, says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Look at chapter 20. Chapter 20 and verse 23 and ye shall not walk in the manners of the nations, which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you, notice, separated you from other people. You shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, between unclean fowls and clean. You shall not make your souls abominable by beast or by fowl or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. And again in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verses 29 through 32. Deuteronomy 12, 29 through 32, again, he makes this distinction for his people when the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their land, take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them, after that they be destroyed from before thee, that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. For every abomination of the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods, for even their sons and their daughters have they burnt in the fire to their gods. Whatsoever thing, or what things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto nor diminish from it. So Bible believers in, every, in all ages of time have had a distinctive culture. Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of the land of idolatry. And he was to leave that. And, and, so, and we see an example of this in Joshua chapter 5, that we are not to be conformed to this world. We are to put off 
the sin of this world and the corruption that's in this world. In Joshua chapter 5, after the children of Israel crossed Jordan River and they encamped against Jericho, and the next thing that God commands them to do, Joshua do, is circumcise all the men. They're in enemy territory. Jericho is a fortified city, uh, well-armed, and Joshua is told to circumcise all the men of war. doesn't sound very smart to me. But it's not a matter of smarts. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of doing the will of God, being obedient to the Spirit of God. And so he's told to circumcise them, and notice in chapter 5, verse 1, and it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, and all the kings which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried out the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. And at that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made them sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. And it dropped down to verse 9. It says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away, notice, rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. You see, the significance of Joshua circumcising the men of Israel at this time was... The turn, uh, it signified a turning away from Egypt. And Egypt is the world. They were to turn away from it. They were to never go back to Egypt. And so they were to turn away from Egypt and commit all their concerns to God. So not only do you have a turning away from, but you have a turning to yeah, that's what Bible separation is. It's a turning away from the things of the world and a turning to God. And we see that here in this passage. So, so they were not to be conformed. We are not to be conformed to this world. They were not to live like they did in Egypt. They were all Egypt away. And that's what that circumcision, circumcision represented there in the days of Joshua. So we're not to be conformed. There must be a willingness to turn away from the war. Secondly, there must be an allowing of a transformation. In verse 1 again, be not conformed to the, or verse 2, I'm sorry. And be not conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I said that on purpose. There has to be an allowing of transformation. You know, one of the things I mentioned this fellow the other, yesterday was, God will not violate your personal zone. He'll only come as close to you as you allow him. You know, I can violate your personal zone and make you uncomfortable, but God will not violate your personal He won't force himself on you. So that this, this transformation has to be allowed. It, but he says, be ye transformed. It is a command. He commands us to be transformed. The word transformed is, is where we get our word metamorphosis. Um, I don't know how you pronounce it in Greek, so I'm not going to try. But that's, we get our English word metamorphosis from this word. And it means to change into another form, to transfigure. It's used of the change of moral character for the better. It's used four times in the New Testament. The other two, uh, once in 2 Corinthians 3.18, 1 
where it says we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. The other two times is where Jesus was transfigured before him. He was changed. So <laughs> it means to have a, the change of moral character for the better. So we allow the Lord to transform us. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we, need, we are to allow, or to, we are to transform our lives by looking into the mirror of God. And the mirror of God is the Word of God. We're looking to the mirror of God's Word and then allow Him to change us into His image. Uh, we, we are... Uh, we are transformed in the same image or we're to have the excellence that shines of Christ transferred to us. means to reproduce the same image. And we must do this with, notice it says, with open face. But we have an open face. You know, an open face speaks of a mind that's not blinded, but disposed to or willing to perceive the majesty of Christ. So there has to be a willingness to perceive it. And so there, there needs to be this allowing of transformation. God wants to change your life. He desires to change your life. And he'll change it for the better. For the better. But we are transformed by the renewing of the mind. There's this renewing process. And let's look at that thirdly. The renewing process. The, renew, the word renewing means a renew, a renovation, a complete change for the better. You know, one of the things I, I, I kind of enjoy doing is uh, remodeling houses. I, in fact, I like fixing anything that's not working. You know, every once in a while, I'll just go on Craigslist and look at farm and garden stuff and dream about a tractor I'm going to get someday that I usually never get. But you know, one day, uh, the other day I was on there and I saw this John Deere lawnmower. I like John Deere. Specialty oiling. And, and uh, it hadn't run for a year and a half. So it looked like it was in decent shape. So I called the guy. You know why? Because I wanted to fix it. You know what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to sell it. I had it home a day and I spent an hour on it and I had it run. It purred like a kitten. I mean, it's in good shape. The only problem is the hood's broke. It's a little expensive to fix the hood, so I'm going to sell it the way it is. The hood stays on, so, you know. Anyway, you know, I enjoy fixing And that's the idea of renovate. Make it work. You know, I'd like to take a house and completely change it. Renovate it. You know, when my wife looked at our house 12 years ago, she thought I was nuts. Um, I think she's changed her mind, I think. But anyway, uh, so we didn't allow the Lord to renovate or to completely change us for the better. And, of course, this is done by the Spirit of God. In Titus 3, 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So it is the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, that is the effect of this change. Uh, 
And so he says that we need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, the mind is the, the reason of the capacity for spiritual truth, the faculty of perce- perceiving divine things. So we allow this change. And, you know, this change, again, the process is, is of the mind by the Spirit of God. That's the effect of it. So it, it requires us allowing the Spirit of God to give us understanding and to reason out the truths of God's word so that they make sense to us. Now, there's a danger here. Because sometimes people think that you can reason everything out, humanistically speaking, from the word of God. But that is not true. Does the Trinity make sense? Can you explain that? In other words, you have to accept this by faith. But the spirit of God, see, we receive it in our spirit. And in our spirit, we have a sense that we know that it is truth. And the spirit convinces the mind. We have to learn to allow the spirit of God to lead us and not not always our minds. You know, our minds will rationalize and justify human behavior. You know, minds, smart minds have justified alternate lifestyles, homosexuality, drinking for health reasons, quote unquote. And of course, they're finding out that the benefits of those health reasons are outweighed by the damage done by the alcohol. Alcohol destroys the body. End of statement. It is damaging. And that's what the word of God teaches. See, we need to receive it by our spirit and let the spirit of God bear witness with our spirit that this is true. No matter what our mind says or what the world tells us or puts in our mind. And so we must must learn to be led by the Holy Spirit as he bears witness with our spirit. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. It says... And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were without, I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 5. Chapter 8, I get to the right place. Chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Notice he says spiritually minded. Not fleshly minded, spiritually minded. And then verse 13, he says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. So if you're going to follow your fleshly mind, it's not going to lead you right. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Then another verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse uh, 3 to 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Those are the thoughts of the mind. And, bring, and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So as we, this renewing process then requires that you know, we, we allow the Spirit of God 
to lead us and direct us and convince us of truth. Now, if you're going to understand the will of God, there's several things, factors that come into play with this. I'm going to try and give you these this morning so that it makes sense. First of all, we need the inner witness of the Spirit. You want to say, well, I just want to know if it's the will of God, okay? You need to seek the inner witness of the Spirit. You know, Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. The Spirit bears witness to our spirit, not our mind. Your mind can doubt. But he bears witness to your spirit. There's an interesting statement or word used, and, and, and you know, um, independent Baptists and fundamentalists kind of, kind of have, have shied away from this because it comes to charismatics. And I'm not talking about a warm, fuzzy feeling or this goosebumps kind of thing. You know, that's, that's a bunch of, bunch of hogwash. But, but in 1 John 2, it says in verse 20, ye have an unction, an unction from the Holy One. In verse 27, it says about the anointing which you have of God. That's speaking of an inner witness. One pastor described it this way as a deep down knowing feeling. A deep down knowing feeling. A man said to me yesterday, how can you know? I said, I just know. I just know in my spirit, in my heart, that this is true. Just like I know the sun's coming up tomorrow morning. And, and, and the Spirit of God gives us that. You know, I, I know that the Trinity is true. Now, can I prove it to you? You know, you know people have tried to illustrate the Trinity, but it's very difficult. You know, like uh, um, water is vapor, can be ice, and it can be a liquid. You know, so really it's a gas, liquid, and solid. Um, but, you know, that's, that's really not a very good illustration of the Trinity. It's, it, you, you can't really explain it. But we believe it because the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that it is true. Um, you know, it's, not a, it's not goosebumps or a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's simply a deep-down knowing. And, and the Lord will give you that. And several years ago, there was somebody quit coming to church. And I had this deep down feeling I knew why. Pastor Webb was still the pastor. And so I called Pastor Webb. And he asked me later, how would you know that? I said, I just knew it. You know, the Lord gives some pastors some things that not everybody discerns because of the office, not because we're smarter than everybody else. I just knew it, and the Spirit gave me that. You know, and it was true. It, it, my my hunch was true. Um, it's it's like an unuttered voice. It's not one that I can hear. You can hear with your ears, but you 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 sense it or you believe it. You 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 are convinced in your heart. It may be an urging or constraining to do something or not to do something. Again, it's that spirit bearing witness. Because the spirit knows. 
And when the spirit knows, then the mind understands or is convinced. You know, we re- you can read the Bible and understand it by the witness of the spirit. You know, the Bible says, the natural man receiveth not things of the spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You know, Jesus said one time in John 3.11, in John 3.11, um, I'm just going to quote it, and I can't remember what it said now. <clears throat> John 3.11, he said this. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know. Now, he was including the disciples in that. We speak that we do know. Now, when he asked the disciples, whom say ye that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, remember what he said? Flesh and blood hath not revealed that unto thee but your father, which is in heaven. In other words, it wasn't revealed to them by their mind. They didn't come by, about understanding that by their fleshly minds. They came to understand that because the spirit of God bore witness with their spirit. This is the Christ, the son of the living God. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 10. But as it is written... I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man. Talking about natural man. The things that God hath prepared for them that love them. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So again, the, your head knowledge will not save you. It's heart belief. It's being convinced in your spirit, in the inner man. Spirit of God gives that inner desire. It is the work of the Spirit. Now, did you ever think about in Acts chapter 8 when the Spirit said, said to Philip, go join thyself to that chariot. Now, I really don't think And when he went over to that chariot, what was they doing? They were reading the prophet Isaiah. And so we need this. So what we're talking about here is the inner witness of the spirit. The inner witness of the spirit. It's more than just head knowledge. Head knowledge won't do it. There has to be a inner witness of the spirit. In fact, a lady said to me, you know, I've been in Baptist church all my life, and I know what is right. She knew here. That's as far as it went. But she wasn't interested in learning the truth. So we are renewed, or we know the will of God by the inner witness of the Spirit. Second thing we know is God will use the Scriptures, is by the Scriptures. You know, God will direct our attention 
you know, to certain verses in the Bible or maybe certain parts of a sermon. It may not even be the sermon subject. You know, I, I, I've gone to churches for, all my li- for most of my life, and, and preachers have preached on certain subjects, and, and I got something entirely different out of the message. That the Spirit of God pinpointed to me that probably nobody else got. And sometimes you feel like, you know, yeah, I think I think the preacher was preaching at me tonight, you know, or morning, whatever. Uh, you know, the Spirit of God leads us, and of course, He leads us, and He teaches us in accordance or in harmony with His world. Word in John chapter sixteen and verse thirteen, He says, "Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of Truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself; whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you." things to come you see he is the spirit of truth and thy word is truth you know three times in john he is called the spirit of truth he will guide you into all truth the spirit of god will never lead you or witness to your spirit to do something that's contrary to the word of god sometimes people will say well i just feel like the lord wants me to do such and such and you say, there's no way. Because it contradicts the word of God. It contradicts the word of God. So he will use the scriptures. Thirdly, sometimes he will, God will use circumstances. You know, sometimes God will draw circumstances around us until they are overwhelming to us, and we know it's his will. Now, there's examples of this in the Bible, but we, have, we cannot rely on circumstances alone because circumstances sometimes can lead you astray. Circumstance, circum, the circumstances seemed favorable for David to go to Ziklag or to Achish, but it wasn't spirit-led. It was in his mind. He said, I have one day die at the hand of Saul. I may as well go to the Philistines. And he did. See, his mind justified his sin and his circumstances. His mind justified. And, to, and, and further that, to live there, he had to live a double life while he was there. And so we have to be careful about circumstances. So we need to be in harmony with these other things. And, of course, the fourth thing is peace in the heart. In John 16, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be a good cheer, I have overcome the world. So God give, will give a peace in the heart. And so, you know, God wants us to renew our minds, and it really is a renewing process by the word of God and the witness of the Spirit so that we can prove or know or examine what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is how we prove. The word prove means to test or to examine or to scrutinize. To see whether, you know, the, 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 the word here has the idea of testing metals. When I was working at the uh, Penny Swarry's metal shop, sometimes we'd get 
sheet metal in from China. And Benny said one time, he said, sometimes it looks almost like there's sand in the middle of it. It's poor quality. You know, he had a trained eye. He could tell right away it was not good quality. And so this idea of, of testing. And so we are to test what is, and, and you know, by the renewing of our minds, what is the perfect, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Uh, First John, or First Corinthians 3.13 says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall clear it, for it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try, and that's the word proved there, every man's work. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try. So we're to examine the teaching of the word of God, uh, of teaching of, of prophets or preachers that are in the world, and test them whether they really are of God. And so God wants us to be transformed by renewing our minds, allow the spirit of God to lead us to prove what is good. You know, Paul told the, the uh, church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, in verses 9 through 11, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he says this, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. So we're going to continually be, by the word of God, by the spirit of God, allowing him to examine our life, and being conformed to him were to prove things that are excellent. Pleasing, acceptable, upright, honorable, of virtue, of integrity. That's what all those words mean. Notice in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 2 again. He says, and be not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? And these words are all related, but the word good, the Greek lexicon was, the definition there was, what is upright, honorable, acceptable. Of course, we have the word acceptable listed. The word acceptable means fully agreeable with. Fully agreeable with God. Again, if we're if we're sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God, he will guide us in the ways that are fully agreeable with God. You know, Paul purposed in his spirit to go into Macedonia, but the Spirit, or not into Macedonia, into Troas, but the Spirit suffered them not. Was it wrong to go into Macedonia, or into Troas? Would that have been a, I mean, a major sin to go into Troas to preach the gospel? No. But it wasn't God's will for Paul. Somebody else would take it there. See, sometimes even good things are not God's will for your life. Not every need is your responsibility. I mean, there's, there's, you know, it, you know, I often look at, the, look at our country. I think, man, we need to go west. But it's not my responsibility. All right, be gone. Uh, see, not every need is your responsibility. There was a need in Troas, but it wasn't Paul's responsibility. It wasn't God's will for Paul 
take the gospel down. So he had to be do that which was agreeable with God, fully agreeable with God for his life. God's will for your life is not exactly as it is for my life. Now, there are some generalities that overlap. We're not hot dogs, you know. And, of course, the word perfect means, uh, speaks of human uh, integrity and virtue. So, So he wants to, God wants to, you know, we're not to be conformed. We transform by renewing our minds that we may prove. And he says that, that is that perfect will of God. The word will mean what one wishes or has determined shall be done. So what we ought to be seeking for is to do what God has determined to be done with my life. And that's a continual thing. Brother Hill talked about, you know, progress. You know, we don't, you know, he said I said this, but I don't remember saying it. But, you know, I say a lot of things I don't remember. But, you know, we ought to be focusing on progress and not the end. We do want to have an end goal in mind. But we can't get to the end without starting here. You have to start at the finish. Or you have to start at the beginning. <laughs> you can't start at the finish. And so we have to live what is God's will for my life today. You know, Jesus said this in John 5.30, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. You know, the secret to the Apostle Paul's success was in the first thing he said to the Lord Jesus Christ when he met him at the road of Damascus. The second thing he said. First he said, who art thou? And then he said this, what shalt thou have me to do? Now, Paul meant what he said. His life showed it. He meant, Lord, whatever you say, I will do it. I will strive to do it. I will strive to do it. And God revealed his will to him. You know, Paul would have said, Lord, Sure, I'll, but I don't want to go into Macedonia. I was talking to a fellow pastor in Maine one time. He was retired. And he said, I got this call from a guy the other day from down south. I don't know where south was for sure, but, you know, anything south of Maine. But anyway, so I got this call from a pastor down south, and he said he's, he's looking for a church to pastor, but he didn't want to go north of Bangor. He said, I didn't even write his contact information down. Because what did he do? He just put a limit on where he would, what he would do or where he would go. He was limiting God in his life. As we heard in Sunday school this morning, we may be hindering the greatest blessings God has for us by limiting what we allow him to do in his life. See, we need to, we need to come. The secret to this being renewed and understanding God's perfect will is coming, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, with an open face. See, the open face idea has, I'm open, I'm acceptable of whatever it is you will say to me. What wilt thou have me to do? You know, God wants you and I to know his will. 
John 7, 17. He that willeth to do his will shall know of the doctrine. In Psalm 73, 24. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me glory. Psalm 139, 9 and 10. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. God wants you and I to know his will. It's not some far off thing. Doing his will is really simply obeying what you know to be right, right now. Whether you're an adult, or a teenager, or a child. That's the will of God for your life. Doing what you know to be right, right now. But the question is, are we willing to do his will? Are we willing? Do we really desire the Spirit of God to take leadership, to lay down our life beside him, if you will, and then let him lead us? He won't make the choices for you. He'll simply tell you what choices you should make. See, God didn't make the choices for Joshua. He simply told Joshua what he should do. And Joshua obeyed. Are we willing to obey? It goes back to being that living sacrifice. Willingness. Are you willing? Let's pray.